This podcast is a production of Queens Public Television in New York City. Visit us on the web at qptv.org. Hey, I'm Mark Bassino, and this is Queens Creative. Hey, welcome to the Queens Creative Podcast, coming to you from the lovely studios of Queens Public Television in New York City. Oh, we're going to have fun on this episode of Queens Creative because today my guest is the fabulous comedian, actor, radio personality, podcast host, and beautiful all-around human being, Rob Bartlett. Rob is really an entertainer's entertainer in the truest and old-school sense of the term. As a man of many talents, Rob can and has done practically all there is to do in show business and continues to do so. Widely known for his 30-plus year run as a regular writer and performer on the Imus in the Morning program, Rob is also a very funny stand-up comedian as well as an accomplished Broadway, television, Emmy, and Drama Desk award-winning actor. Over the years, Mr. Bartlett has worked with the likes of Eddie Murphy, Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick, Christina Applegate, Daniel Radcliffe, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Lucy Liu, and the list goes on and on and on. And if all of the aforementioned wasn't enough, Rob is also a philanthropist. As an advocate, fundraiser, board member, and trustee of the Long Island Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. On today's pod, Rob and I have a few laughs, talk about his beginnings in comedy, right on through to his latest projects and everything in between that's made for a long, varied, and incredible career in that crazy world they call showbiz. All right, this is going to be super fun. We'll get into my talk with Rob in just a minute. But before we do, please check out this message from QPTV. Today, um, the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment has brought Broadway and the Boroughs here to Queens, uh, here in Jackson Heights. And we're particularly excited about this particular performance because it's World Pride. New York City is the first U.S. city to host World Pride and it's the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, and we're at the site of the start of the Pride Parade here in Queens to present excerpts from the prom and be more chill. to make sure that everyone has access to Broadway in some way, shape, or form. Some of the people that are here are probably Broadway fans that follow the shows, but then it might also be some cases where it's the first opportunity people have had a chance to see a Broadway performance, and so we just want to make sure that this rich cultural resource is available to all of the residents of New York City. Don't miss Around Queens. Broadway in the Burrows, and many other programs. You can watch them all on our website, qptv.org. Hey, welcome back to Queens Creative. As promised before the break, let's get right to it and jump into my conversation with the amazing Mr. Rob Bartlett. So Rob Bartlett, welcome to the podcast and Queens Public Television. Thanks so much for coming down and doing this, man. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Um, I thought we would start at the beginning, which would be a good place to start, right? The beginning. Tends to, <laughs> unless it's a, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of those movies where they play it backwards. Right, know? right. No, I don't think that's the case here. I, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, um, so I was thinking, let's start all the way at the top for okay. you. Mm -hmm. um, you're a New Yorker, born in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. raised in Long Island, lived in Queens after that. 
Um, it seems like a lot of great comedians come from Queens and Long Island. I was thinking, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld, Billy Crystal, Eddie Murphy, yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think these places are such a sort of fertile breeding ground for comedic talent? You know, I was kind of thinking about that, and I wanted to get your take I on it. I think it's something in the water. <laughs> I think there's definitely something in the water. It has to be. I mean, Jerry Jerry and I are from the same town, actually, from Espiqua, So, Oh, wow. Um, so, I, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's the suburbs, and mm-hmm. especially for our generation, we, uh, we grew up – you know, kind of like baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, our perspective was shaped by that, by, by right. you know, the fact that the environment we were in, mm-hmm. you know, because most people I know weren't born on Long Island. They were, they were born in either Brooklyn or Queens and they just migrated east. Migrated, right. You know, yep. uh, if you were born true. in Queens, you, you kind of settled on the North Shore. If you were born in Brooklyn, you settled on the South Shore. <laughs> and, you know, it was like the big uh, exodus from, right. from right. the boroughs. And I, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. You know, Long Island was a great place to grow up. Uh, you know, the school systems were great. Um, there were integrated communities. I mean, it was just, it seemed like it was a perfect place. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that the perspective uh, that you had, having kind of the best of both worlds, because, mm-hmm. you know, you were literally 30 minutes from the city. So, yeah, you're you close know. to the city. You're close to the ocean. You're right. got- you, you have museums. You have Broadway. You have, right. you know, just about every kind of restaurant you want and and. And then you go home and go to the beach. Like you said, it's just, <laughs> right. it's, it was the, the perfect place to grow up, I think. And I think our perspective comes from that um, because we had it relatively easy. Okay. Uh, we were able to sit back and, and basically make judgments on society, <laughs> which, you know, and we all wanted to be the center of attention. Okay. So I think that, that had a lot to do with it as well. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Well, along those lines, I was thinking, so how does uh, little Rabio sort of growing up? How do you get the comedy bug? Like, how does how does that happen? Um, my father was a huge fan of comedy, and he had all of Bill Cosby's records. Uh, cool. And my father had the greatest laugh ever, and and I learned early on that making him laugh was my key to happiness. Okay. Um, <laughs> as long as I could make him laugh, I was I was good to go. You're good. You know. Uh, he had listened. He had, I guess, a friend of his had loaned him um, Pat Cooper's. Uh, Pat uh, Cooper. Yeah. Um, I don't re- remember which our hero. I think our hero, Pat Cooper, and it was the Italian wedding bet that Pat Cooper did. Okay, um, which is just brilliant. And I later on, I got to work with Pat. Uh, we did a show together called Rant and Rave, and just a genius in terms of the way he works a crowd. And my father laughed until, you know, tears were streaming down his face. <laughs> so I was in kindergarten. Right. And I kind of took the what I remembered of it, and I actually imitated it in kindergarten <laughs> the next day. Right. And I made Ida Green, who was the girl I had a crush on, I made her laugh. Ida and Green, there you go. PS 208, my first romance, I actually, you know, I... I made her laugh and I was good. So it kind of started from there, really. It's like the equivalent of a guy being in, in the band in yeah, high school. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You made, you made her laugh. Right. And that's right. Wow. Interesting. Have you have you ever seen Ida Green again? No. No. Matter of <laughs> fact, I don't think I even saw her after kindergarten, to be honest okay. with you. Uh, but I made she, her laugh, but you know, it was very fleeting. She doesn't know what she kicked off. This is true. You this know? is true. It's interesting. A lifetime of heartache is what she left. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, 
You see, you're, you're, I'm happy that she did that, though, because you're, you're make, you know, what she did made, made the world laugh after that. So. Started the wheel turning. Started really the wheel did. turning. And, and then, uh, you know, you, most comics, most comedians were, wanted the attention, wanted the approval. And when they couldn't get it traditional ways, they would, you know, be the class clown or right. they would do something stupid. And <laughs> that's, you know, how we learned to cope. I got you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, again, sort of along those lines, sort of moving a little further, um, you know, I've heard the story when you got started as a comedian uh, down the line a little bit from uh, your, you know, your grade school days down the line, mm-hmm. you teamed up with none other than Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, mm-hmm. but how did you come to meet and work with Eddie. Now, the sketch improvisational tr- trio was called the Identical Triplets, The right? Identical Triplets. It was myself, <laughs> Eddie, and Bob Nelson. Oh, oh and Bob Nelson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, we were just friends. Uh, we all got our start at a place called Richard M. Dixon's White House Inn, which was in <laughs> Hicksville. Okay. On Hicksville Road, I'm sorry, in Massapequa. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, in my town. So I could not go there. Right. And when I decided that I wanted to try doing stand-up, there were... You know, the showcase rooms in the city, Catch Rising Star, the Improv, uh, Comic Strip. Mm-hmm. But this was Long Island. Right. And so they had a Wednesday night showcase, and I went down. And I, I don't know how many comics and singers were on the bill. It might have been 30. Okay. I know that there were more people going on than were in the audience. That much I remember. <laughs> it was like this little kind of like house slash restaurant um, that uh, Dick Dixon, who was the the presidential lookalike, okay, uh, when Watergate happened, he you know was hot for about twenty <laughs> minutes, and then and then he had to find another gig, you know, because right. he was an actor, okay. So he decided to do that because he could have a bar and you know have food and then free entertainment because mm-hmm. they didn't pay you, you right? Know, you just got right. the free stage. Some time. things never change, exactly. Well, <laughs> exactly, um, and so. You know, and started there, and, and eventually it kind of caught on, and they were, they were packing up the house, and, and you know, I, I befriended Bob, Bob, Bobby Nelson, and then uh, Eddie came in one night, and he was 17, I think. He was still in high school, and he went on stage and did three or four little snippets of original material, and then it was like a tribute to Richard Pryor. Oh, wow. Um, but I... I knew the moment I saw him mm-hmm. that he was going to be huge. There was just wow. something about him. He had that it factor, right. and he had the most incredible confidence of anyone I'd ever met in my entire life. And he knew how to work a crowd. He knew how to make people laugh. And we all kind of palled around enough when we made each other laugh. So right. we would go we'd go out. You know, we would vow we wouldn't go to Dixon's. We're not going to go to Dixon's again tonight. We're just we're going to go do something. We're going to go bowling. We're going to go to the movies. Couldn't get into the movies and couldn't get a lane of bowling. So we wound up back at Dixon's. <laughs> so we, and we started doing improv okay. with each other. And it just worked. There was right. chemistry there. Wow. And so we decided, you know what, well, why don't we try to do this? We can each do little snippets of our own individual acts. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do like these little sketchy things in between. Right. And that's how. That's how that started. Wow. And it was really just to, to work with people who you really liked, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, that's that's a big thing. You yeah. really, you know, you want to like the people you're. Right, right. Play, and I think it shows, uh, you know, on stage when you you don't want to be working with a bunch of people who can't stand. No, exactly, exactly. We had a <laughs> right. lot of fun, though. Right, right. That's great. So so he was, you, you felt like he was almost fully formed when you. Pretty much. Wow. I mean, that, that talent was 
there. It was, you know, it was just a question of the timing and, right. and getting in the right right place at the right time. And and we were we were doing the Fort Lauderdale comics. Just after the triplets kind of went their separate ways because um, places didn't want to book trios, okay, you know, especially on the road because mm-hmm. it would be three airfares and three hotel rooms. Right. So. Um, kind of doing our separate acts again. So he and I were working the uh, comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. And the night before, I had been in Manhattan. Merv Griffin was taping some shows at Lincoln Center. He was doing, you know, a a week of shows from New York. Mm -hmm. And Bobby was slated to go on. He had signed with APA, the agency, and they got Mm -hmm. him this gig in Merv Griffin. And we're sitting in the green room and we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And then, of course, his agent comes in and says, they're not going to get to you being bumped. <laughs> right. And then we're just kind of talking and, and his agent happens to let slip that they were looking for um, uh, an African-American actor for SNL because the guy that they had hired, who was a brilliant street performer by the name of Charlie Barnett, who used to work in Washington heard that Square. Name. Yeah. yeah, he was like, just did these crazy characters. Mm-hmm. And he was really, I mean, he had this rubber face. He was mm-hmm. really, really gifted. Um, but they discovered that he was illiterate. He couldn't read scripts. Oh, man. So they were kind of at a loss. Right. And so next day on the plane, I said to Eddie, I said, you know, they're looking for somebody for Saturday Night Live because Charlie Barnett got, and we didn't, we, the, plane did not hit the ground before Eddie was on the phone to call uh, Richie Ticket and Bob Wax at the comic strip because they were the only two people he knew who right. had any kind of clout in show business, the right. owners of the comic strip, and and asked them to get him in an audition. And they did. And wow. the rest is as they say. As they say. <laughs> History. Uh, well. That's that is what they say. Right? That is what they say. Okay. A, okay. But I was I was being nice and letting you say it because it's your show. Well, you know. I'm I'm being <laughs> You're I'm the nothing guest. if not gracious. <laughs> I'm not gracious, but I'm nothing. No, all right. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be the comedian here. Um, so, after you work with Eddie, uh, and you know, it seemed like it seems like you you sort of jumped full on into stand up, right? I mm-hmm. mean, uh, after I've seen you do stand up, it's just great. You know, um, I got the impression watching you do stand up that this is really like where your heart's at. Um, sort of, you're, you know first sort of true love um what is it about stand-up comedy that you know you really really love there is great joy in making people laugh mm-hmm. um there's great satisfaction in that uh you know it, it's i mean i want to make it bigger than it really is but you're almost providing a public service in that you're giving people a chance to kind of forget what's going on mm-hmm. you know in their lives or in the world or whatever for the 20 minutes that you're on stage and just make them genuinely laugh right. um of course the other side of that is when you play just silence which i've done more than once right. um but there's there's something about that and 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 being in one on a stage you're in control mm-hmm. um you know it's a very very different thing than you know acting mm-hmm. when there are other people on stage with you and right. you gotta have to throw the ball back and forth and you have a common goal and it's a group thing and you're right. all working of off each other yeah. and interacting right um but there's some this and there's great power in that you okay. know so it's you know when you're on stage and you have the microphone and the lights on you you're the most important thing in the room right and that's how every comic gets their start is that that need <laughs> that, that thing to to want to be the center of attention right. like you you 
referenced before. This is same thing. Right. It's just, you yeah, know, it's getting, getting up Thanksgiving and, you know, getting dizzy for grandma. It's one of those. Right, you know, right, it's, right. It's, uh, you know, whether you're in a room with a spotlight on you in front of a microphone or you're in class mm-hmm. trying to impress the girl. Mm-hmm. It's the center of attention mm-hmm. thing and trying to make people laugh. And that's, that's yeah. great, man. It's uh, So I wanted to also talk about one of the other big things in your life. Um, you had an incredible run on the IMUS in the Morning program, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, both sort of the radio and television mm-hmm. iterations. Um, you were on the show for, what was it, like over 30 years? Yeah, 30, 31, I think, 31, wow. 32. So how did how did that gig come about for you? I mean, it's fascinating, you know, your career, all the different levels. It's so funny. I was, I was thinking about this a couple of months ago. I was thinking about all the things that I've done right. in the course of my career and all the things that I'm still doing and right. hope to do. Right. Uh, it's it kind of runs the gamut, you know. Yeah. It really does. It's yeah. everything from, you know, being on a nationally syndicated radio show with right. one of the people who invented, right? You the know, whole shock, whole shock, shock jock thing, idea, right? Um, and you know, and then twenty years later, one of the hosts on the WWF Monday Night Raw, right. you know, right. it's like <laughs> just one of these things is not like the other, right? So um, I had been a fan of Imus's. Okay, and in high school, I had a. A clock radio that I won because I was the head of my homeroom and we sold more magazines than any other homeroom. So I got to choose a prize and I chose an AM. It was an AM clock radio. Okay. And I would set it to go to school. And it, I set it to Imus because, right. you know, it, it he was funny. Yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, going off and hearing him, com- you know, coming out of records, you know, it's a, don't let the sun go down on me. And he made some comment about, well, how about your daughter? And then <laughs> they would segue into a commercial and then he'd come back. They'd be playing tape, right, you know, from right. another another show. Right, right. Um, so fast forward, I guess, uh, a number of years. Um, I'm doing a, a one-nighter in Jersey, you know, there were myriad one-nighters at ground rounds and whatnot, right. you know, and uh, with a, a pal of mine, Mark Sheff, who happened to be Imus's producer at the time. Oh. I was doing a benefit uh, here, at, matter of fact, in Queens, in Bayside at the old Jimmy's Comedy Alley. Yes, I remember Bay, it well. Bell Boulevard. Yes. Uh, we were doing a benefit for uh, Make-A-Wish or one of those children's mm-hmm. charities. And I had been working with Soupy Sales on and off. Uh, wow. I did a few shows with him at the bottom line. Um, Alan Pepper, the the guy who owned the bottom line, the bottom right? line had yeah. this idea to get a bunch of guys, comics, um, do little snippets of their act and tell jokes and then... There'd be an intermission. During the intermission, they'd hand out cards, and people would write down topics for jokes. Okay. And then Soupy, who would MC, would say, "Okay, who's got a doctor joke?" And everyone would have to get up and tell a, a doctor <laughs> joke. So it was great. I That's got to cool. work with you know all these great old time guys, with Jan Murray, and you right. know. Um, wow. uh, so Soupy at the time was on NBC. It was it was Imus Soupy. Howard, <laughs> and I think Wolfman Jack were, were the wow. four guys who were on, on uh, NBC. WNBC AM at the time. AM radio, yeah. yeah I remember back. it. Yeah. And, um, so, but Soupy couldn't have me on for whatever reason to promote this thing. So Mark said, well, why don't you come on Friday? We do comedians on Friday on Imus. I said, sure. So I went in. I, I, you know, it's like this is a guy who I'd been a fan of. And mm-hmm. I did uh, my signature bit at the time was um, – uh, a Tom Carvel piece. Uh, uh, it was a it was a kind of a takeoff on one of those Tom Carvel commercials. The commercials the classic. Where, he, where he'd be interviewing you know the store owner, <laughs> and it's right when the Wednesday is Sunday buy one get one free uh, promotion had happened, <laughs> and my whole thing was this guy 
this Queens guy, actually, Louis Panabianco, who evolved into Sal Manella on right. the Imus show, uh, right. was not happy about the idea that he had to <laughs> give stuff away, you know. And so it was. I played Tom Carvel and the guy, right. and and the wife and and the daughter. Who it was this long thing. That's great. I did it for Imus, and right. he went nuts. <laughs> he thought it was the funniest thing ever. He said, "You know, and anytime you want to come back." And I, I took him at his word. I just, I would stick my nose in. I'd show up whenever I could. I'd right. just show up at the studio. And, and uh, eventually, they, he said, well, why don't you come in after the show and, and maybe we'll do some bits, do some recorded mm-hmm. bits. And I started doing that because that's how I started getting paid was on a per bit basis. Oh, I see. And I would get extra, if, I mean, best of Imus on Saturday. Oh, so right. That was the idea. That's the, the impetus to exactly. really that's, bring I was, it. I was nailing down maybe a 100, 125 bucks a week. Um, <laughs> which was, you know, yeah. it, was a, it was one gig, basically. That's, that's uh, great. So, and then when they moved to WFAN, when mm-hmm. NBC was sold, um, they offered me a contract. And uh, I was with them until they went off the air. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah. That's 30 years of uh, all, the, all, this, all the little bits. And, uh, you know, I love the Salmonella thing, man. It just, it's, it's, you know, it, it, was, it was a great place to be. And it, right. it afforded me a lot freedom he was very very supportive of me taking off time to do tv you know did a couple of pilots did a couple of episodes episodic tv right Uh, let me take off for pilot season let Mm -hmm. me take off to do certain things on broadway very very supportive and it was a steady paycheck and then you could come back and come back and you know what 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 could be better it was it was great and he was just the most supportive that's you know that's that's what you want man Mm -hmm. you know that kind of gig for uh for anybody in the arts creative that you can kind of have a launching pad and then mm-hmm. have something to, you know, to jump off from and then come back to. And that's, it's great. And everything that I learned, mm-hmm. you know, just about, not even just about comedy or writing or, or radio, but mm-hmm. just even about the world, current events. I mean, all the right, things. It's very topical too, right? I mean. All the people I was exposed to. Yeah, you, know, sure. you know, some of my dearest friends I met through the program. Did, right. I went to see Dick Cabot last night. He, uh, he's got a, I, I guess a, a documentary on HBO about Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. about when Muhammad Ali used to do the Dick Cabot show all the time. And and Dick, I met through oh, wow. Imus in the Morning. You know? Wow. So, that's right. So many people come through there. Yeah. Right, right. That's, yeah. that's amazing, man. That's uh, really, uh, it's one of the, you know, one of the amazing things about your career. But you've been, you know, you've done so many amazing things. I wanted to sort of touch on all of them mm-hmm. a little bit as we could, um, you know, as we go about it. Um, so... Along those lines, I was thinking, you're not only an amazing comedian, you've done the radio thing and, and the television thing with Imus, um, you've also, you're also an accomplished stage actor and a television actor. Now, I wanted to talk about the Broadway stuff sure. first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you originated the role of Mr. Mushnick in uh, Little Shop of Horrors, right? Yes, the Broadway production right. of Little uh, Shop of Horrors. You, you, you were Speed in um, <laughs> The Odd Couple <laughs> with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Mm-hmm. You were in Chicago, the musical Sweet Charity with Christina Applegate, How to Su- the revival of How to Succeed with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, all amazing stuff. So I started thinking about it. I'm like, how does a stand-up comedian transform into sort of a bona fide stage actor and and a musical stage actor at that because that you know not many guys do that it's uh, again it's just a weird way that i back into these things uh i had been but to have the talent to 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 pull it off well you know know, one of the things that i discovered from doing that was i used to think of these people as they were 
they were on like this upper level and it was, it was an unattainable goal. Mm-hmm. You know, I could never do what they do because right. there's something special about them. And then I got there and I realized they were all just like me. <laughs> and so I tried to tell that. As a matter of fact, the, the, the middle school in my town is doing Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. And I went and I spoke to them all and I told them, I said, you know, you can do whatever you want. You know, right. it's, you, there's nothing, there's no reason why you can't be doing this. Right. And I really found that to be true. That's great. I had, uh, you know, been a drama club guy in high school, and that was another way that I kind of got the girls, was being mm-hmm. the, the guy who was the, I was always the comic relief guy in <laughs> any of the musicals that we okay. would do. You know, it was uh, Billis in, in South Pacific, mm-hmm. and I was Mr. Applegate and in uh, Damn Yankees and Moonface Martin and Anything Goes. And right. it was great. I mean, I just, and it was a way of, again, doing comedy, but in a different way. Right. And I had, you know, studied a little bit. I was an English and theater major in college. And um, it was one of those things that I always kind of wanted. One of the reasons I got into comedy, to stand up, really, was as a way to get into acting, because I kind of okay. wanted to be an actor. And when I first oh, okay. started, it was when Robin Williams and Steve Martin and all mm-hmm. these stand-ups were segueing into TV and film. Right, right. And so I thought, well, this is the easiest way of doing that, because they were offering comics development deals. Sure. You know, hand over fest. That time. Catch a Rising right. Star was like, you know, the, who's the next Robin Williams? Who's right. the next Steve Martin? Right. Wow. Um, so I didn't know that. So so the acting was sort of, sort of the... Before the comedy, or in well, tandem with, it was so. it was an offshoot of the comedy because right. you know you start as the, the class clown, and then you realize that you can actually do this and get the same attention and not get into trouble, right? Because it's legitimate; you're on a stage, you know, and you're actually <laughs> working hard and rehearsing, right? So, right. Um, but right. I really enjoyed that, and right. so you know, I did shows in in college and whatnot, and mm-hmm. so I. <laughs> I was doing um, the Sands in Vegas. I was one of the last, if not the last act on the old Sands Hotel in Las Vegas where the Rat Pack, the same stage where the Rat Pack had played. That's amazing. Uh, It was really amazing. But it had seen better days. (laughs) Like the hotel suite they put me up in was like in the back. It was a bungalow and it still had shag carpeting from when Uh JFK stayed in that suite. So it was like one of those. (laughs) Um, You don't want to know it. No, 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 no. Uh, and while I was there, um, a producer, a guy by the name of Mitchell Maxwell, who had produced Damn Yankees, the revival with Jerry Lewis on Broadway, uh, was there and knew me from Imus mm-hmm. and saw that I was, you know, in the showroom. And he won a ridiculous amount of money at roulette and decided he was going to go see the show. So he was in a good mood. Great. And he thought, hey, this guy's really funny. Why don't I stick him in one of my theaters? Because he, I guess he owned a few theaters. Uh, off-Broadway theaters, one of my theaters, and put a spotlight on the fat guy. <laughs> so, so, sounded good. So my manager, Gary, and, and, and I kind of sat down, and Gary said, you know, it'd be great if you could make it more than just doing your stand-up act. Right. So I thought, okay, well, what, what can I do? So I, I initially wrote this, this thing about a comic getting... A, a chance to do a show on Broadway and mm-hmm. all the things he had to go through to have it happen and then the, them discovering that they would make more money if I had died than if I actually <laughs> stayed alive and so that's how Sal Manel was going to be a hitman oh, and I it see. was kind of like the producers right I was going to say it has little producers had a little producers in it but it was, it. It, was t- it was too convoluted whatever and right. so then we, I started from scratch and, and Mark Waldrop great director and a great writer lyricist said, well, you know, you should write what you know. So I decided, you know, I turned 40. I was having my little mid-life crisis and dealing <laughs> with uh, dealing with some father issues, yes. you know, which was, uh, you know, there's a reason why I tried to make him laugh. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and he, he, he left. And so, excuse me, I uh, 
I wrote this kind of little play thing around mm-hmm. that concept. That concept. And I thought, well, it's a suburban. And so I'll be cleaning out my garage. And then I would use the stuff in the garage to be props in, oh, in things that kind of like Jonathan Winters used to do. Right, right. One of my idols, okay. Jonathan Winters. So I, you know, I'd pick up a garden hose and use it as a microphone, whatever right. it was. So that was the, the conceit. Okay. We did it off uh, out of town in, in Stanford, Connecticut at the Rich Forum Theater. And um, it was called Have a Nice Life. <laughs> and uh, right. it was great about title. a comic and his right. wife and right. you know Emily Skinner, the great Broadway actress, played my wife and and uh, it was okay. It got mixed reviews, and then they decided it really needed an overhaul. So they they hooked me up with Jack O'Brien, who was a big Broadway director. He did Adam's Family, and he did mm-hmm. um, he did Damn Yankees uh, with Jerry Lewis. Hairspray was was also his. his? Wow. Okay. And this is, you know, I predated all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of woodshedded an idea and, and kind of streamlined it a little bit and it became more to love. Mm-hmm. And Dana Reeve, uh, Christopher Reeve's uh, wife, wife, played yeah. my wife. And wow. Joyce Van Patten, who I'd had a crush on as a kid, <laughs> uh, played my agent. And uh, in the, it, was, it was supposed to be off-Broadway. And okay. then all of a sudden, the Eugene O'Neill Theater opened up and they said, well, let's let's try it on Broadway. So I opened on Broadway in a show mm-hmm. that I wrote and starred in. Um, it's amazing. It, it did 16 previews okay. and four performances. <laughs> and the pull quote from the Times Review was, avert your eyes. Oh, so it's not the kind of thing you can hang off the marquee to sell tickets. <laughs> right, right. So it took a year for me to kind of get over that. And during mm-hmm. that time, I did uh, I did this thing that City Center Encores is a, is a deal – that they do every year. They take musicals that uh, haven't been revived for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. That's how Chicago got its start, the okay. revival of Chicago. And it's very bare bones. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you're in tuxedos and you hold the scripts because it's an equity thing. You can't really, they do it in three weeks. They cast it, rehearse it, and they do shows. Right. So it's like being shot out of a cannon. <laughs> so they did Golden Boy uh, with uh, Alfonso Ribeiro from oh, wow. uh, Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince, yeah. Uh, playing the Sammy Davis Jr. part. And I got the small part because the guy who had cast More Love, um, Jay Binder, was casting this this thing mm-hmm. and said to Walter Bobby, "I got a guy who can you." So okay. I went in and and uh, I wow. auditioned for Walter Bobby, and I got the small part, Roxy, one of the managers of the fighter. Okay, and um, got to ad lib a little thing because you needed some time to fill. They were changing the set, and a oh, big curtain was coming down, and. And uh, what better than a, say, a uh, exactly comic? Says, well, say something to cover this. Right. So it's just this whole thing came. This, this, these curtains came down. Especially Eddie Satin's, you know, Park Avenue <laughs> penthouse. And I just I took a hold of the curtain and I rubbed it between my fingers and I went to the other guy. Was the other match? Went, Would you look at this vakakta shmata? <laughs> and Walter Bobby, who was the director, went nuts. Thought right. that was the funniest thing ever. So following that. I got called to do an off-Broadway play called Tabletop, okay. which was uh, kind of a dramedy. It was mm-hmm. about a, a commercial director, but the guy who does the product shots. So the guy who shoots, you know, the pizza, right? You know, and the cheese or the, or the beer, you know, being poured into the glass right. with a frosty and, mug. Yes, know. exactly. Right. And it was like in a, a real-time thing. And he was mm-hmm. he had a crunch, and he was a tyrannical director. Okay, and. I don't know how, but the, the the playwright, Rob Ackerman, thought that I was embodying the guy who he based it on. Uh, Rob had worked for a number of years on a crew. 
okay. of of these shoots, and it was ba- you know the play he wrote was based on that experience, mm-hmm. and the New York Times writes a review and. Rob Bartlett is an inspiration. So wow. I kind of got my beautiful my my back end on that. Right, right. So I'm having lunch with Joyce Van Patten. Um in in the city, the uh what's the uh the supermarket that has the cafe above it? I can never remember. Fairway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having lunch at Fairway and Walter Bobby is sitting there. And I know Walter Bobby from doing the Doing the city center thing, and right. so we, we, you know, he, Joyce knew him, and so we, the three of us sat together, and we're talking and chatting and whatever. And then the next day after the next, I get a phone call from my manager. Um, he said, "You got an audition for Chicago the Musical." I said, wow. I said what? <laughs> he said, "Yeah, you have to go see the Wednesday matinee, and then after it's over, you have to get up on the stage with the musical director Bob Billig and sing Mr. Cellophane." So okay. that's all. Yeah, that's it. Okay, fine. And I'd seen the show, and I think, you know, it's a right. terrific show. It's still running 25, right. six years now. Longest running American musical. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I go. And wow. I was lucky. Brad Garrett was supposed to play the part. He's supposed to play Amos Hart, Mr. Cellophane. But he got the Jackie Gleason TV movie. Oh, I see. Biopic. Right, right. And so. And he's. People know him from, from Raymond. Raymond. Everybody right. loves Raymond. Right. And Raymond, who I knew from my acting class, uh, who <laughs> right. used to say to the teacher, please don't let Rob go on before me. Let me <laughs> don't let me follow Rob. Um, and it's a great impression. So Brad Garrett, you know, right. can't do it. So Walter Bobby's stuck. And I just had lunch when I was fresh in his mind. Right. I went down. I get up after the matinee. I sing cellophane to Bob Billing. On the way home in the car, I get a call. You got the part. That's fantastic. And then that led to Little Shop, and that led to uh, but you're, you Odd see, Couple. And, and, and but had you been singing before? Um, well, I, like I said, I'd done musicals when, uh, you know, I was in high school, right. and I had done, uh, you know, I was in a, a Beatle tribute band when I was younger, and, <laughs> you know, as we all were. Because, um, you know, comics really want to be musicians. I've heard that. Yeah. You know, the comics want to be musicians. The the musicians want to be comics. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's an interesting. It's, a, it's, it's, I find it to be true, too. It's, right. it's, it's, it's really an axiom, I think. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I, 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 I could sing well enough that you could, that I could do that. You felt comfortable. I felt comfortable. To I mean, give a shot. Dancing is another story. Um, <laughs> I've seen you do that. I saw you do that in the, in the Thanksgiving day parade oh man i'm telling you man. i gotta say uh, how to succeed in business aside from being a great experience working mm-hmm. with dan radcliffe and john larroquette right. and later on nick jonas mm-hmm. um we got to do the tonys we got to do letterman we got to do the today show and we all always did this one number the 11 o'clock number mm-hmm. brotherhood of man which is an enormous show-stopping number if it's done right, right. and rob ashford the director who's also a choreographer did it right and wow. it was the acrobatics involved in this <laughs> dance number was such that I needed oxygen when it was literally it was just when When it was over but I mean it stopped the show that's that's the idea right that's exactly right I I mean mean, one of those chill bump kind of numbers you know so that's great man I mean just that alone I mean and working with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane and I mean all the people that you've worked it's just amazing uh you know the trajectory of your career it's it's amazing. And, you know, and it doesn't stop there, you know, because now I, 
we could talk about the tell. I wanted to talk about the television stuff too. Um, you know, you've played a defense attorney, uh, Milton Schoenfeld, right? <laughs> Law and Order. Law and Order. Uh, you had a recurring role in U- Ugly Betty, another on The Good Wife as a Bond attorney. You play a lot of lawyers. I, I, I do play that. a lot of lawyers, well, but right. the last thing that I did was the ultimate career goal of mine right. was to play a cop. Okay. And I actually got to play a police captain on the last season of Elementary. Again. Right. You played uh, Bill Dwyer, right? right. Was captain the, Bill Dwyer. I was with Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu. Wow. Johnny man. Lee Miller. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, when I was on SVU, I got to to be the Fonz's lawyer. I was Henry Winkler's lawyer. <laughs> right. Um, when I did The Good Wife, I got to do scenes with, you know, Juliana Margulies. Right. Um, and... In, in elementary, I got to do scenes with Lucy Liu and Johnny Lee Miller and Aiden Quinn, who I, the, the story arc was Aiden Quinn had gotten shot at the very beginning of the season and okay. they weren't sure he was going to make it. And so mm-hmm. I was the fill-in police captain oh, at see. the precinct. I see. And, um, and in the last episode, Aiden Quinn came, you know, my last episode, Aiden Quinn came back and I had to hand the precinct back to him. And then mm-hmm. something is revealed where I'm not exactly the nicest of guys. Oh, I see. And uh, I kind of get my comeuppance. <laughs> um, but it was just the greatest experience. Just so much fun. But again, you fall into it backwards. I was going to say, now, how did you know? Where, how did the television thing come about? SVU and... happened because the guy who designed the set for Tabletop mm-hmm. um, is the art director for Law & Order SVU. Okay. And I guess some of the people he worked with came to see Tabletop. Okay. And then they asked their casting to bring me in to read. The first thing they had me read for was for some under five thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was like a judge or something like that. And I didn't get it and I was all depressed. And now, then, under five meaning five episodes? Under that... five lines. Oh, I thought. Yes. It was, oh, okay. Yeah. And it was only going to be one episode. Oh, I see. Um, but they kept bringing Milton back. <laughs> uh, lucky for me because when they, they brought me back to, to do Milton Schoenfeld, the, the defense attorney, it was like, okay. All right. So it was a much bigger part. Mm-hmm. Many more scenes. I got to work with all the principals. Right. Do scenes with all the principals. And then, um, you know, out of that year, they have something they can look at. If they need your type, they go, okay, well, let's let's bring let's bring in the, right. the, the fat guy and then you're, you're in good shape, you know, so. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. You make it sound like it's just, it's classic show business, isn't it? Really? It really is. Because like, it's just like. Right place, right time. Who do you know? But not to belittle it, you need the talent and the skills to back it up. Because when you do, when those opportunities present themselves, you have to be ready to capitalize on them. I remember reading an interview with Steve Martin. I think it was in Rolling Stone where he had said, "You you got to make sure that you have your bags packed <laughs> if you're waiting for the bus." Right, and it's a great way to put it. it. You know, the bus showed up and my bags were packed, so right. I was lucky enough to get on the bus. Many times. Yeah. Well, I mean, radio, television, stage. I mean, uh, But I'm know. also a prince to work with. They love me. <laughs> You're a beautiful human being. I bring and I can donuts. attest to that. <laughs> uh, our crew guy, uh, Renee, he'll, he'll love to hear about the donuts. Um, so uh, I wanted to jump quickly into a couple of your current projects. So mm-hmm. you're involved in something, uh, a show called The Ruthless Spectator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also doing Rob Bartlett's Radio Comedy Hour podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so these seem sort of like a throwback almost to your stand-up and sketch comedy roots. Um, can you tell us a bit about these projects, how they came about? Yeah, uh, Ruthless actually came about first. Um, when I must made it known that he was going to be retiring, I was looking for a plan B mm-hmm. and thought that, you know, what, what are my strengths? And 
realized that we could do something on the web. And mm-hmm. we got together a little repertory company. And um, I got a writer, Andrew Smith, who is a, a great, great comic writer, was a head writer at SNL for a while. And he also um, wrote the screenplays for Who's That Girl and oh, the main really? event. And oh, so cool. he's really, you know, solid and funny, funny, funny guy. Wrote a bunch of hysterical books. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew Smith was the writer. And he also, you know, served as an actor for some of the stuff. And we just wrote, wrote these sketches, you know. And uh, a lot of them were parodies of shows. You know, we did a our version of Say Yes to the Dress. It was like, don't oh. frown on the gown. And <laughs> we did that. But it was for um, Siamese twins. So it was a hard fit, you know, for the, for the dress for them. And then I did uh, a thing, uh, Honey Boo Boo, right. later on, you know, as a grown-up. As a grown-up. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll go to I'll do right. drag at the drop of a dime if I'm gonna get a laugh. So okay. you know, I put the big curly wig on and right. and the tracksuit and <laughs> and squirted cheese in a can into my mouth. Um, <laughs> and we did that for a while. Uh, right. We actually uh, got a, a a thing with Amazon Prime out of it. We got a three episode season oh, nice. called uh, Ruthless Spectator Presents, and then. Uh, and then the Ron Bartlett Radio Comedy Hour came about when after Imus left the the air, um, the uh, ABC, you know, the, the radio station that we're at when mm-hmm. he left, was looking to maintain connections with some of the people. Okay. Um, you know, some some of the people went on to, to take over the time slot and and a couple of us used the digital um, section of ABC okay. to do a podcast, and I'd always wanted to do a throwback to the old radio shows, right? Um, you know, Bob Hope and Jack Benny and and Fibber McGee. I mean, the, the stuff that they're more know, like reviews because I've heard it. It's right. more like a rev- reviews, right? but then they also had like um, you know, like the Jack Benny show. There'd be a through line story, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'd have sound effects and whatever. But they would right. stand at microphones holding scripts in front of a live audience, right? And they had a great performance space at ABC, the uh, Hackensack. Uh, medical center um, studio. I forget what the name of the studio is, mm-hmm. but um, where they do live events. You okay. know, usually musicians. At the time, um, you know, they still uh, Cumulus still owned um, Nash and PLJ, and so whenever there was somebody coming in to promote an album, they would come and they would do a live thing in front of fans. Mm-hmm. You know that they would broadcast on the net and whatnot. So we did a few episodes like that. I know, six or eight of them uh, on on a stage in front of a live audience. Um, and then there was, I don't know, some kind of red tape or bad blood or the guy who ran it really didn't like me, whatever. We weren't allowed Jeez. to use the live studio anymore. So they stuck us in a radio studio. So we didn't have the visual component anymore, which is fine. We still right. did, uh, you know, the sketches and whatnot. Had mm-hmm. some guests, you know, we had Tony Danza come in. We had Michael Yeary come in. You know, we had some, great. some decent guests. And then uh, they gave us an hour on Saturday nights. I guess one of the doctors who... You know, the foot doctor who used to <laughs> pay to, for the hour couldn't couldn't right. make, meet his bill, so they stuck us in. We did that for a little while, and then they, they came to me and they said, "Well, we can't we can't have you do it anymore." I said, "Well, why?" He says, "Well, well, you know, it's a it's an insurance thing." I said, "What do you mean insurance thing?" I said, "Well, you know, technically you have too many people. You have like six people in your Jeez. in your cast, and and we have to pay insurance." And I said, "Whoa, I said, they're my employees. I'm paying. You don't pay." Right. Anyway, we couldn't do it. So now I do it from you know my kitchen, right. <laughs> and it's and it's me. And and whenever I can, I get some tape, right? You know, right, from the right. stuff that we used to do and play it back. It's classic showbiz, man. Again, yeah. you know yeah. the ups, the downs. It's always yeah. Yeah. it's just it's just the way it is. Um, but you know, aside from the the showbiz stuff, I wanted to also uh, sort of finish up on. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, something that I also know is 
you know, dear to your heart, um, you're you're involved in the Long Island Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Mm-hmm. You've been very active with that charity. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is that charity close to your heart? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I was diagnosed with, with um, what they said at the time was ulcerative colitis. Uh, first, it was spasmodic colitis. They didn't really know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of an embarrassing uh, disease <laughs> right. to have because you can't be too far from bathroom. Right, I've um, heard that. Right. And uh, so... You know, it, it kind of went unnoticed. You, mm-hmm. you didn't really broadcast that you had it. Uh, and I lost, you know, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I, I lost a lot of time in my life. I lost, mm-hmm. uh, it made me leave college. Wow. Um, and, you know, eventually I, I had the surgeries that allow me to be healthy and, and get mm-hmm. fat. Um, <laughs> and then unfortunately I passed it on to my son. Oh, jeez. Uh, my yeah. middle son, Devin, um, who is my hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Long Island chapter of the Crohn's Colitis Foundation was so instrumental in helping him um, get well and, mm-hmm. and get to the point now where he's engaged and living with his girlfriend and getting married next year and leading a, a regular life. Normal life. Normal Excellent. life when, Excellent. you know, he missed most of high school. Wow. You know, um, had to be tutored at home because he was so sick. And, you know, it's it's getting more and more prevalent now. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, everyone that I know, everyone I've ever met mm-hmm. either has a family member or knows somebody who's close to them who deals with the disease and they're finding newer and newer stuff all the time. There's a work with the genomes and mm-hmm. there are um, some, some medication protocols that uh, are, are helping a lot. And I think they're going to wind up finding a cure. And so that'd be great. That's, that's, you know, the reason why I got involved with them. And, you know, we do the walk every, every May, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, that's great. man. Yeah. It's just, you know, you got to give back. You know, you yeah. got. I mean, a man as lucky as myself, right. you got to right. give back. You no, know? That's, it's great. It's great to hear that you think that way. You know, a lot of people, unfortunately, don't. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, that's very cool, man, that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I I really appreciate you coming down here today and oh, doing my this. Pleasure. Uh, you know, it's just really so great to have you, and you know, it's so so interesting to hear about your journey and all the stuff, you know, that you've done. Um, you know, so. Thank you again and much continued success, sir. Big, big thanks to Rob Bartlett for visiting QC, hanging with us and sharing his amazing story. To learn more about Rob and his work, visit his website, www.robshow.com. That's R-O-B-S-H-O-W.com. And to catch some fun bonus video of my conversation with Rob, not included in the podcast, visit us on the web at qptv.org slash queenscreative. Well, that's it for this episode of QC. I hope you crazy kids dug it. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods and please visit Queens Public Television on the web at qptv.org. QPTV can also be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash queenspublictelevision and on Twitter and Instagram, we're at QPTV. Queens Creative was produced, recorded, and mixed by yours truly. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Mark Bacino. Till next time, see you folks. See you folks.